This week's Pharmacy Magazine Talking Pharmacy podcast is brought to you by Pyrocalm Control, Omeprazole 20 milligrams from Dexel Pharma. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine and joining me on the pod this week are Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News and Neil Trainers editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Later in the pod, I talk to Nigel Swift, Managing Director of Rowlands Pharmacy. But before that, we have lots of things to discuss, so let's start straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. Arthur, what have you got for us? Uh, my Good Week this week goes to the PDA, who, in my view, are rightfully putting pressure on Boots to ensure that... Uh, pharmacists as well as potentially thousands of, of staff altogether are going to be affected that are going to be affected by the forthcoming reduction in opening hours are treated fairly uh boots of course announced last week that it was reviewing its supplementary opening hour provision across its estate meaning hours above and over uh, the nhs contractual obligations and uh, it was revealed that uh boots is planning to cut its open hours by an average of six percent for each store of course that's an average so um it's so, so some store, stores will have their hours cut by more than six percent and others less uh and we don't know much yet about sort of where in the country and in which stores the reductions are going to be most concentrated but the pda has said and the pda obviously negotiates with with boots as the union representative of pharmacists there the pda has heard from some members whose hours are apparently going to be cut by over 10 percent, some as much as 14 percent uh, a loss of potentially hundreds of pounds per month for in, in income for some people uh, boots says it's all about targeting pharmacy services where they're most needed uh which I mean, I can accept that there's an element of that at play, but it's hard not to suspect that cost cutting is a factor here as well. Um, in particular, the company potentially trying to make itself more attractive to to buyers with the sale of the company to apparently imminent or, or or coming in the spring. Um, the company also says it's hoping to minimise any job losses, um, in in pharmacy teams in in, in the stores that are affected, but. Again, it's hard not to suspect that there'll be some redundancies. The PDA's uh, welcomed assurances from the company that um, that they're trying to keep job losses to a minimum, and and it says it's going to support members affected um, in cases where redundancy is is necessary. For example, where um, there aren't any alternative roles for for a PDA member to take within the company, and uh, one of the uh, big questions that's coming out this week is uh, what stance is Boost going to take in terms of allowing affected pharmacists to take shifts with competitor businesses because it's emerged that uh, apparently some pharmacists have in their contract that they're not allowed to to work for a competitor. We've seen um, what appears to be an excerpt from a staff handbook saying that um, you know any conflict of interest is you know, it's a, it's a the strong no on that, and any potential con- conflict of interest should be discussed with managers. Uh, we've also seen uh, what appears to be an excerpt from an individual pharmacist contract that forbids them from taking uh, a similar role to their current role uh, within a two, two, two mile radius. So it sort of remains to be seen how strictly Boot is going to enforce that in the case of. A pharmacist having their hours cut by possibly ten percent uh, in the current, uh, co- the current uh, hour reduction exercise. So, so big question marks there. 
Um, Booters, uh, we we did approach Booters for more information on this. They're declining to comment just yet. So I guess it kind of remains to be seen exactly how individual pharmacists are going to be affected. But um, it's a I think I think it's a big story, uh, particularly in the context of uh, a sale of Boots apparently be coming in the very near future. And I do, uh, I think it's so, it, this is an instance where union membership can be very important. So that's why the PDA get my good week for um, bringing this to light and, uh, and, and putting pressure on Boots. Yes, thanks, Arthur. Um, Boots in the news a lot at the moment. Uh, like you say, a lot of speculation in, in the business press, uh, business press with a possible sale and cutting back its hours across the business on, on some contractual issues there that uh, that the PDA has highlighted. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting one. Um, and it's obviously an, an ongoing situation. Did you say, Arthur, that Boots hasn't yet added any more information to its hours um, that it's cutting across the business? No, I did approach them for more information on on the hours and on this and this contractual issue, but they referred me to to their previous statement where they talked about um, you know we're doing this to to target services where they're most needed. Yes, it must be a, a, a cost element to this um, as well. I think didn't regardless of the sale actually or possible sale of boots. I think didn't Roland's cut its hours um, a couple of years ago, blaming cost pressures because of the contract. So yeah, something something for us to to keep an eye on uh okay um thank you for that arthur i'll go next i i'm not sure if this is a a good week or a bad week really but i i've gone for the long-awaited health education england workforce survey um which is the first one for four years so well it's probably a bad week isn't it now you'll have seen the reports in the press widely covered and arthur arthur you did a great story actually putting together all the main points on on Pharmacy Network News. It was a 67-page document, so it takes a bit of wading through. Um, but a few things stood out for me from this survey. One was the, the response rate, which was 47%. Um, that's over 5,000. So not brilliant, but but sizable enough to, to get a decent picture, um, I think, especially during a pandemic. And, and secondly, the survey paints a very complex picture. Um, just in terms of the findings, to recap briefly, uh, the total number of pharmacists in the sector, the so-called headcount, has increased by just over 4,000 since the last survey in 2017. And the number of full-time equivalent pharmacists also grew by just under 2,800. That's about uh, an increase of a fifth. And so the average number of full-time equivalent pharmacists per pharmacy was higher than four years ago. But pharmacy vacancy rates are also up and have doubled since 2017 at um, 8%. And over half of respondents said pharmacist roles are are difficult to fill. Um, Now, incidentally, I think the Community Pharmacy Workforce Development Group uh, came up with a survey last year, didn't they, that showed a a full-time equivalent pharmacist vacancy rate of of 9% across England. So those findings are are consistent across both surveys. Uh, And there were wide regional variations too in the health uh, education england survey so yeah it's a it's a complex picture and as we discuss um in the nigel swift interview later one person's workforce crisis is another person's working conditions crisis but the findings certainly back up the many anecdotal reports of recruitment and retention problems in community pharmacy that we're seeing and it 
it seems pretty clear, well, clear to me anyway, that this has been exacerbated by pharmacists moving into GP surgeries under the additional roles reimbursement scheme. So, yeah, complex picture, more pharmacists in the sector, but but vacancies up too. Um, there are no, no answers here, no solutions from HEE, but I suppose the first thing with any workforce planning that you need is data, and you need to have ongoing monitoring and a regular review of the supply and demand of pharmacists and pharmacy team members. So, you know, we need better data around the pharmacy workforce. This is a start. Um, there needs to be, though, I think a lot more modelling done and, and having a survey once every four years from HEE just doesn't really cut it because things change very quickly. Um, looking back uh, through the archives, it's hard to believe that uh, a group called the Centre for Workforce Intelligence in 2013 was actually predicting a surplus of pharmacists and was suggesting that the schools of pharmacy capped student numbers. So, yeah, things change very quick, quickly. And I'm not saying for a moment that the answer is to prevent pharmacists joining GP practices. You, you can't do that. You can't say that. And it wouldn't be desirable anyway. But maybe the NPA's point about local impact assessments might be one way of mitigating the problem, uh, at least in the short term. Longer term, as we've discussed before on the pod, it's a much, much bigger problem. Um, But an interesting story uh, confirmed, I think, a lot of people's uh, thoughts and experiences. So I'm going to go for bad week, another bad week for for pharmacist recruitment and retention. Uh, Now, both of you want to come in here. Uh, Arthur, what did you think? You wrote the story, of course, uh, and Pharmacy Network News. What did you make of it? Yeah, no, I mean land, landmark report, as you said, and and as you said, it's, it it sort of backs up what um what a lot of our readers have said in terms of it just it can be quite difficult to to find pharmacists uh to to, to or to fill pharmacist roles at at the moment, um but it is also complex in terms of the data and uh, in terms of the workforce is up, but also vacancies are up. I was just wondering, just an observation. I remember when this survey was launched last year, people were saying that it was potentially a shame to have it just a survey aimed at contractors. Um, you might get a more sort of granular, um, uh, accurate picture if you actually direct a workforce survey at the work at the workforce. And I wonder if potentially that is behind some of the sort of, you know, on the face of it, counterintuitive findings in the data. Really good point, Arthur. Really good point. And I think uh, a workforce survey that encompass, encompass the entire workforce, as you say, would, would paint a, um, a more accurate picture and would be more valuable um, because of that. Neil, what did you think? Well, I think you're, you're absolutely right, Richard, um, when you say that it's not about you know, preventing or stopping people uh, moving into GP surgeries. Um, you make a choice as, uh, when you, you do all the studying. You, it's your choice what you what you do. But I, I, what, what what strikes me with this is that um, the the argument really is how you make community pharmacy more attractive. And and right now, as we all know, only too well, particularly over the last uh, twenty months, particularly during the pandemic, it's been being a community pharmacist pharmacist at, or, or a member of the community pharmacy team has been a thankless task, a horrendously difficult time for community pharmacies and. Um, you know, I think a lot of I've seen. I don't know about you, but I've seen quite a few comments on Twitter. Uh, pharmacists saying this is another horrendous day, another really difficult day. I'm drained. I'm tired. Um, you know, people who are, who are looking at pharmacy as a career 
we'll be looking at some of this stuff and thinking, oh God, you know, this this it really is a, a thankless task being being in community pharmacy. Perhaps general practice pharmacy is more cosy, better 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 um, working conditions. Maybe a, maybe arguably a, an easier job. Um, given where you are in the context. But it seems to me that, um, you know, making community pharmacy more attractive is probably the right path to be going down. And I, that brings you brings you to sort of what, how can you do that? How can we do that? You look at the MPA, uh, the, the RPS, who I've arguably been pro general practice pharmacy, not so much community pharmacy. Um, you know, but how can these, how can the bodies within pharmacy, you know, make you know, send the message out there that the community pharmacy is an amazing profession, a highly re- rewarding profession. Um, uh, that's what really struck me about this uh, this uh, survey, to be honest. Yeah, very good point, Neil. It, it's it's a, a profession-wide problem and it needs profession-wide solutions. But yeah, the attractiveness of community pharmacy as a career uh, is that point being made is that argument being made or what are we doing to to actually enable that on the ground and what is within the the, the profession and the sector's power to to influence working conditions um it's a it's a question that goes outside of pharmacy doesn't it because the government funding has a lot to do with it but it's a it's absolutely a, a question for employers too so um yeah, that's a that's a good point, Neil. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Neil, you want to come back in quickly? Yeah, just and just uh, one other thing that just occurred to me as well is that the new chief pharmaceutical officer, David Webb, who uh, arguably many of us in community pharmacy know about or heard of. It'd be nice to know what his view is about uh, this workforce situation. Uh, I know his background is, I believe, it's hospital pharmacy, isn't it? But uh, it'd be interesting to know what he thinks, because as we know, his predecessor, Keith Ridge, did make quite some some quite interesting comments about. Uh, workforce and general practice, uh, uh, the attraction of general practice uh, pharmacy f- for pharmacists. I'd like to know what David Webb thinks. Um, just a thought. No, it's a good thought. I mean, he, ne- he needs to be in post first. I don't think he starts until um, until February. But yeah, it, and, and actually what, you know, how David Webb kind of opens his account, if you like, with the community pharmacy sector is going to be is going to be really important. And it would be interesting to hear his views on this and quite early on, too, because I think as far as the chief, new chief pharmacist is concerned, community pharmacists will be looking very closely at for, for, um, at his views or listening to his views on the profession and how he sees the community pharmacy sector going forward. So, yeah, no, Neil, that's a good point. Let's see what Mr. Webb makes of it all. Um, OK, and uh, well, it's your turn, Neil. Good week or bad week? Well, like you, Richard, I've had trouble deciding whether my one's a good week or a bad week, really. I've, I've gone for the review steering group. Uh, I know we've spoken about them quite quite a lot on the pod um and as i'm sure our listeners know they're overseeing the long-awaited reforms to the psnc and lpcs um they're slowly methodically painfully depending on how you look at it edging towards a final set of proposals uh, that contractors will be able to vote on and we're told this will happen before easter um although the, the group didn't give a firm specific date for when this will happen when we asked them for, for, for that um now, these are supposed to be hugely significant reforms. You might say the most important reforms pharmacy has ever undergone. Uh, but I've got to say, um, it doesn't feel like that. Um, and I say that because there seems to be uh, not so much ambivalence. We don't know that for, for, for sure. But certainly some uncertainty as to whether independents are engaging with this process and, and how much interest they're actually taking in it. Now, I'm frankly a little bit concerned that independents are not as engaged or interested as they should be. Um, you can't take the view of one person and hold it up as being representative of the 
you know, entire profession and, and the strength of feeling within the profession. But I was caught by remarks on Twitter from one community pharmacist, um, Chris Armstrong, who I believe is based in Sheffield, and he's a, a, a very um, avid tweeter. Um, and he said he didn't understand the process and insisted that independents were just too busy running their pharmacies to spend time on RSG matters. And this is, this is what he said. He said, to be honest, I don't have a clue what's going on or what the implications are. I and all other independent pharmacists are just too busy trying to spill all the other plates and keep our pharmacies open during a pandemic and also with an eight-year, 60% real-terms funding cut. So it's very hard to argue with uh, with Chris there. I mean, we, we all know how horrendously difficult it is for, for pharmacists all over the country. Now, if this is a widely held view amongst independents, we've, we've got a problem, and I've got to say that. Um, or should I say, you know, Independents have got a problem because how the PSNC functions and performs and how national and local representation plays out in the coming years is going to be critical um, for pharmacy as a whole, but certainly for independents. I say there's a certain amount of uncertainty over whether independents are plugged into these reforms uh, or the process underpinning that. Um, I say that because it's, it's, it's not if that if that's true, it's not great for the RSG. Um, that is, on the other hand. There's another argument to say that that may be that may be me being a bit unfair on the RSG because they have put we have to say this they have put much work into sharing information with contractors. Um, Its secretary James Wood told me that the RSG has been trying to engage with independents through uh, the NPA, through independent support groups, LPC meetings, focus groups, and so on. Um, So it may be and it it may also be a reflection, um, sort of looking at it from all sides. It may be a reflection on us in the pharmacy press too, because the RSG has been relying on us. To a, to a great extent, to get messages across and, and transmit to contractors a sense of urgency. Um, I asked the RSG, however, straight out, if at this stage in proceedings, it has a feeling of whether or a sense of whether many independents have so far engaged with its work through websites, newsletters, podcasts, blogs, focus groups, you know, all that stuff, webinars. And James uh, told me that they've had some positive engagement to date, including 22,000 plus views of its the RSG website since the start of the year and more than 6,000 recipients have opened their their email and newsletter. Now, I don't know particularly whether those are good figures or strong figures. Um, Someone more more knowledge of, um, you know, analytics than than I've got would probably be able to a better idea of that. Um, But but I did ask the RSG to clarify whether those figures related just to independence or whether they were for independence and multiples, was it a mixture of both? And they didn't get back to me on that. So there's, it just it leaves a sort of an uncertainty hanging over um, whether those figures are good, first of all, but also whether that, whether those relate to, to independence. Um, it feels harsh to put RSG in the bad week category, so I'm, I won't do that. Um, maybe it's better to put them in the indifferent week, simply because at this stage, we just simply don't know the extent to which independents are engaged or interested, and consequently, whether they're going to vote in large numbers, when a vote takes place, whenever that is. So uh, an indifferent week for the RSG. An indifferent week, yeah. Um, thanks, Neil. I suppose, I guess people won't engage, as I think Chris was saying um, there, Neil, unless they understand it or they think it's important or they think it matters. And, and maybe maybe this is the issue. And I, I must admit, I felt throughout this process that no one has really articulated an answer to the question why does this matter to me? And and as you say, Neil, if if, if we haven't got an answer to that question, um, then the the reform process is is in a heck of a lot of trouble. 
that's an that's an interesting point, uh, Richard. But just what, what do you think? I mean, what, what do you? I mean, and even Arthur as well. You know, Arthur, and Richard, do you, do you think that where we are now with this process was it? Is it two years to be eighteen? Two years in, yeah. something like that. Is do you get a sense that we are that there is weak engagement, hardly an engagement, not bad engagement? What, what, how do you sort of um, measure it? I have I have found it to be sort of quite a long winded process, and. I guess the people behind it are obviously very expert, very knowledgeable people, but the communication perhaps hasn't been as, I mean, the first thing that pops to my mind is the 2019 election and partly part of it, the reason why the Conservatives were so successful, I mean, obviously not not the entire reason, was that simple slogan, get Brexit done. It was something that anyone could, it was a very clear message that that anyone could could understand. Uh, there isn't. I mean, it's obviously a very different proposition with with these reforms. There hasn't been. Uh, there 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 does seem need to be. I think a very clear direct message around why it's important to to a contractor, uh, to all contractors, and not not just contractors who are the kind who you know attend LPC meetings on a regular basis and and are into policy. Um, that has been absent in my view yes and just to wrap this up i agree um there's been no narrative i think and that that's been the problem and that translates directly to as i said before why does this matter to me and i'm not sure enough contractors know the answer to that Let's finish this week's pod um, with the interview. And in the hot seat is Nigel Swift, appointed five months ago as the Deputy Managing Director of Phoenix UK and Managing Director Rowlands Pharmacy. Nigel has spent most of his career in the pharmacy sector, including spells at Lloyd's Pharmacy, Silesio and McKesson in the UK and Europe, where he was involved on the marketing, sales and operations side of the business. And most recently, he was at Well Pharmacy. I started off by asking for his first impressions of the Rowlands business and how the company is dealing with the current workforce challenge. It's really been really exciting. Before I joined and was talking about joining the business, um, a lot of people talked about the culture in, in Phoenix and, and obviously that includes Rowlands. And it's a culture of people really helping each other across departments, a culture of really wanting to do well and a culture of trying to change things. To, to keep ourselves relevant. Uh, and I can say after a few months in, that that's all true. It's been really, really exciting in the first few months. Um, I think the state of the business, I think our biggest priority in the business, if you like, and, and, and reflects the state is our people. Um, it's a massively ever-changing environment with people and, and right across the UK, so not a Rawlins issue or a Phoenix issue, across the UK there are people challenges within, within pharmacy, whether that's pharmacists or actually colleagues or um, uh, technicians. It, there's, a, there's a challenge right across the business, but we need to embrace that and see how we move forward with it, I think. Um, we've got, luckily in the Rawlins estate, we've got a really dedicated, passionate workforce and we've got a really highly qualified team. And, and, and the challenge now is how can we best use that team to serve our communities to, to the best of our, our ability? So we're just reviewing now our people strategy um, to understand a few things around, one, how do we attract new people into our business? Uh, two, more importantly, how do we retain, retain the people we've got? And the, we, we talk, obviously, constantly talking to the teams in, in the pharmacy to try and understand what 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 their needs are at this moment in time. And there's a lot around people want more flexibility. They want career development. 
um, is given they want fair remuneration and we have to work towards that to make sure we retain our, our really uh, the best people and also we need to be out there to attract new people into our sector as well and it's fair to say across the UK the, pharma, the community pharmacy is competing with primary and secondary care for pharmacists so it, it, it's how we all work together to make sure we can still provide service in our communities. Yeah, so let's pick up that um, workforce and recruitment challenge. I mean, we're, we're speaking the day after Health Education England released yeah. uh, the results of its its latest workforce survey, um, which showed that community pharmacies are, are struggling to fill vacancies. Is that uh, a situation that, that you recognise at Rowlands? Definitely, yeah. And, and right across the sector, I think, and, and reading the report, and for me, there were no real surprises in there. If you look at the the vacancy rates and it broke down, whether they were technicians, um, whether they were just colleagues in pharmacy, I think it was 12% and 16% vacancies across the country. Um, we're not quite that high, but we've definitely got challenges in pockets of the, of the country. Um, and the same that then goes for, for pharmacists. It's really difficult um, at this moment in time to attract new pharmacists into our business and our biggest focus at the minute is retaining the, the pharmacists we've got whether that's looking at how we can develop their careers um, develop their um, their work work life balance in, in pharmacies so do they want to work part-time do they want to stop working weekends everything we need to look at and, in, and investigate but I can't see any major changes, um, Richard, in, in, in the near future where all of a sudden there's going to be lots of pharmacists available. I think that's more about us working uh, right across the different care sectors to see if we can uh, balance the uh, work, workforce. Yes, it's certainly no short, short-term short solutions. No, and, and one person's workforce crisis is, an, is another person's kind of working conditions crisis. So... It sounds as if you're you're doing a, a a lot to, if you like, improve or enhance the working conditions for your pharmacy teams. Again, in, within the Rawlins estate and across the UK, the pharmacy teams are really really tired. That they've had two years of COVID now. They've really stepped up to the mark, and I think people are, are coming to a point now where they're rethinking a lot. People are rethinking the careers. They're re- rethinking where they want to live in the country, and we have to be really open to all of those things now that our workforce want. Um, and whether that is the want to work in, an, in a more clinic, clinical environment for two days a week, so they, they only want to work with us three days a week, those kind of things we really need to look at, look at and, and adapt. That was Roland's pharmacy boss, Nigel Swift. The full interview will be released next week as part of our In Conversation with podcast series. And thanks once again to Nigel for talking to us. So let's wrap things up there. But before we go, Millie from Training Matters has joined us and you've got something to say about the Recognition of Excellence Awards, Millie. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Um, the team, the TM team is delighted to announce that nominations for the ninth annual Recognition of Excellence Awards are now open. As the only national awards exclusively for community pharmacy support staff, the ROE focuses on rewarding hardworking and dedicated individuals who go above and beyond the call of duty to support their customers, colleagues and communities. If this sounds like you or someone that you know, we want to hear from you. Listeners should visit the TM website for more details and to submit their entry or nomination. Thanks, Millie. That's great stuff. Yeah, get your your nominations um, and your entries in. Right, that is the end of this week's pod then. Thanks also to Neil and Arthur. All the Talking Pharmacy podcasts are available on the Pharmacy Magazine website 
and from all your usual podcast providers, just search for Talking Pharmacy. This edition of the pod has been brought to you by Pyrocalm Control, Omeprazole 20mg from Dexel Pharma. From all of us, until next time, thanks very much for listening.